Father, this morning we come to you. We ask for an unction, Lord, to speak and to hear, to believe and to obey, to understand and to discern. Only your unction can help us. For your word says the anointing will teach us all things. Anoint us, Lord. That as I speak, your spirit will be witness and teach us. Your word says I sent forth my word and healed you of your infirmities. And as we hear, the anointing will break that yoke of sickness over bodies. Break the yoke over minds of besetting sins. Because it is the anointing that sets the captives free. And Spirit of God, we are only waiting for the word to arise in our hearts. Pray, Father, even today, we will just surrender and allow your word and your spirit to do its work, Father. Speak to us now, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Like I said, two days to Christmas, but in the Christmas story, as we know from the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, the only two Gospels record his uh, details of his birth, and uh, we will go today, fast forward into the Christmas story, not into the Gospel according to Luke, but the Gospel according to Matthew. We are fast forwarding to chapter 2. Verse 1 to 3. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. It's interesting when the news of his arrival has been born and been around for quite some time, if you read the narrative. But when the news came to the capital, when it came to Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Doesn't say excited. Was troubled. Was disturbed. The question is, why was Jerusalem disturbed? Why is Jerusalem troubled? It's because of the nature of the question. The question is not, where is the Messiah? The question is not, where is the anointed one? The question is not, where is the great prophet? The question is, where is he born? King of Jews. The capital was shaken. All Jerusalem was disturbed. You see, power structures everywhere. Okay, everywhere. Like the election results of this month shook Delhi more than any other place. The shaking is felt always in the capital. Because in the capital, there is an entrenched power structure. It says, Herod and all Jerusalem. 
There is a power structure in every system. In every system, it is entrenched. And they don't like that structure being shaken. It's like two years back when an outsider just won the American election. Whole DC was shaken. Power structure was shaken because this is a guy who's never ever held an elected position in his life. And he has such a bohemian lifestyle. Shoots his mouth off. Then he's the president. And for the past two years, they are trying to get him out because the entire structure was shaken. That's what the question is. Where is he? Who is born? King of the Jews. Because that's the nature of a kingdom. There can be only one king. No kingdom accepts two kings. There can be only one king. Because everything in Jerusalem is connected. Herod, the government structure, the religious structure, the high priest, the priesthood, everything is connected. And it is what we say in English about power and the status quo. Because each feeds from the other. And the reason the power structure, the religious power structure, the Pharisees and the scribes followed Jesus was only to discredit him because they were afraid of the crowds that were following him. And every miracle he did and every sermon he preached scared them because the power structure was being shaken. The final nail in the coffin for the power structure was Lazarus being raised from the dead. That was the last straw. If you read the shaking that began with one question, you will see reach its pinnacle then. In John chapter 10, you will see what happens when Lazarus is raised from the dead. Then, after they heard this, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If he let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. They are not interested about him being the Messiah or anything. They said, you know what? If he rises, we fall. We fail. The structure is being shaken. Like they say, you know, two years, the actual thing they say is the Republican Party is dead. There's no Republican Party anymore. It is Trump's party. It's gone. It will never be the same again because an outsider came and changed it from inside. In the same way, they are scared because this is not... If it had... See, they all went to John the Baptist because his father is a priest. Part of the same structure. So he, they could take all his harsh words, wiper, brood, everything. Okay, his father is anyway one of us. But Jesus is an outsider. And he shook the structure and you will see Let's go further. And one of them, Caiaphas being high priest that year said, you know nothing at all. Nor do you consider it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation perish. He was speaking out of his mind, but actually God used that man. 
Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one, the children of God who were scattered abroad. And from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness. So he departed from there because the time hasn't come for to die. What you need to realize, it all started one day when some strange looking people from the east called the Magi or the wise men. And they came and asked a question, where is he that is born the king of Jews? The power structure was going to be shaken and after that, the world would never be the same again. Where is he? And Herod was the king. And the entire system, religious, everything has aligned themselves with him. In verses 3 to 6, you will have a counsel and a question. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He asked them the question. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are you not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they said, everybody knows scripture. Yeah, we know where it's coming. It's not from Jerusalem. It's coming from a small little town called Bethlehem. So in verse 7, the king goes back and calls the wise men. Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. Ask them, when did you see the star? They said, around two years back. See, we put all the stories together, the shepherds and the wise men all together. No, the shepherds came when he was born. The wise men came when he was around two years old. The shepherds came to the manger. The wise men came to the house. The shepherds came to the baby. The wise men came to the child. Okay, get your story, history correct. And deception begins, verse 8. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the Young child. So he got it. It's around two years old. Carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. The deception. The thing is that if you do not like, I, I love that song. That was the offertory song. We need to know who we are worshiping. To know who really is. Such sentimental junk people send during this season. This morning I got, I felt so sorry. I looked at it and said, my God, what is this? This is from one of my classmates. Okay? 35 years ago, we studied together. Today, she, she was a nun, and she's a nun. And she's a senior superintendent running an entire enterprise in the Northeast. She's not a sister now, she's a mother. And she's sending two prayers for baby Jesus. Let my prayer be like Johnson soap. Let my prayer be like talcum powder. I'm thinking and I felt really sad. Do they really know who they worship? Do they really know who he is? Do they even read their Bible? It's so disheartening. You know, because I got this whole set of friends from my college days. And all of them, most of them are Christians. None of them have a clue who Jesus is. Absolutely no clue. 
who Jesus is. This is our problem. How do you know Jesus? Through scripture. Get to know who really is so that you know who you worship. Go search carefully for the young child when you have found secretly. He didn't want anybody to hear this. Okay? And then bring him back word to me that I may worship him also. But God warned them. They go. Okay, they go. Verse 12 will say. But being, they went, they met the child, they worshipped me. I'm not getting into all that, okay? That we'll keep for another day. All the gifts they gave, the gold, the myrrh, the incense, everything. And divinely warned in a dream they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. Okay, we have heard, listen to the, all the previous Christmas messages. But in verse 16, we will see Herod is outwitted. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Okay, so the Christmas story wasn't a very pleasant thing for the children in Bethlehem or the families in Bethlehem. Okay, that is what happens when a king king comes. He shakes the power structure. It began. Power structure. Okay. I think I'll title today's uh, message as the Game of Thrones. (laughs) I'm watching at all the young ones who are smiling, so you know what I'm talking about. So the first question we hear in Jerusalem is, where is he that's born the king of Jews? And if you look at Jesus' life, especially his last hours, everything was directed at this question. In John 18 and verse 33, Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? You see, historical account of him in Matthew begins with one question. Where is he who is born the king of Jews? And you go through his last hours of his life, everything centers around that same question. Are you the king of Jews? The whole day, the mocking, the beating, everything was directed against one thing. In Mark 15 tells us, the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. They called together the whole garrison. They clothed him with purple. They twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed, spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. Remember where the question started. Then they hung him on the cross. And the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, they all mocked him. In Matthew 27, likewise the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others himself, he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. All directed against one statement, if you are the king of the Jews, then come down. Interestingly, when he was hanging on the cross, Pilate gave an order. And a notice or a board in three languages, Aramaic, Latin and Greek, was nailed onto the cross. And this is what it said. Jesus of Nazareth, King 
of Jews. Pilate wrote a title, put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified, was near the city, and was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So he was born king of the Jews. When he died, he died the king of the Jews. So 31 years later, he was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem with the notice above his head in three languages. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. No city, no country can have two kings. Only one. So the question is, who is your king? From day one, that is the issue. And unless that question is settled, nothing in life is settled. So many people have written about focus, no, unable to focus, wandering in life. If you ever want to get focus in your life, you have to settle one question in your life. Who is your king? You cannot have two kings. You can only have one king. One young man like you, young man, probably in his 20s, on the road to Damascus, had incredible vision. He fell to the ground and he asked one question. Who are you, Lord? The answer was, Jesus of Nazareth. And he remembered, Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. What will you have me do, Lord? Settled. If you are Jesus, you are my king. If you are my king, I have focus. Tell me, what do you want me to do? We have to settle that question. So many haven't settled in this, in the world, Christians, still haven't settled the first question. Because we have come to worship him. That's what they asked. Where is he who born the king of Jews? What did we come all this way for? To worship him. So you can only have one prime minister. You cannot have two. You can have hundred deputy prime ministers. It doesn't matter. But only one PM. The minute you have two PMs, there is chaos. You can have only one CM. Ten deputy CMs if you want. Doesn't make any difference. You bring it down, all the way down to the home. Can I have only one head and no two heads? 99.99% of the problems in the homes are because there are two heads. In Greek, it is called hydra. <laughs> Double-headed monster it becomes. Down come to the individual. There can be only one king. Either Christ is king or you are king. And you have to choose who is king. That's salvation. The beginning of salvation is the opening of eyes. In John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Cannot see the kingdom. 
The proof of being born again is that you have seen a king and a kingdom. And he says, if you haven't seen, you cannot enter into the kingdom. How can you enter into the kingdom without aligning your loyalty to the king? You cannot enter into that kingdom. I always see this and I tell everywhere I go, you know, there is this chaos land in the Indian-Bhutan border called Jaigaon. The West Bengal border is called Jaigaon. It is chaos, buffaloes, rickshaws, police, people, all around. And then you go to this huge gate, which is called the Bhutan Gate. You enter here, this pot-bellied khaki fellow with the lati, the other all blue uniformed policemen. Nobody enters through the gate on the side. There are sidewalks. You only go through that. This fellow who is unruly here, the minute he enters there, is walking on the sidewalk. Because there is a king and a kingdom. There is law and there is order. The fellow who will not listen to anybody here walks like a timid fellow on the sidewalk. Doesn't even cross the road. Because you cross the road, you are fined. God says, once you are born again, you have seen a king and a kingdom. It begins there. You cannot be in the kingdom without seeing the king. So we have to decide this question. Who is he that is king? To the letter to the church at Colossae, Paul describes about this king in such incredible words, divine words. And then tells about those who are born again, those who have redeemed. About them, he says in First Colossians 1.27, To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is the king in you. That's the hope of your glory. Not you. It's the Christ in you. People do not even realize salvation means Christ was born into your life. When you are born again, it means it was Christ who was born in you. That's the hope of your glory. And the conflict begins. The question immediately asked in your Jerusalem is, who is he that is born? The king of Jews. Because people don't realize the first thing that God spoke over man, the first thing that God spoke over man before man ever fell in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and verse 28 is, God bless them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have. You're called to be a king. So Adam, you're a king. Have dominion. Rule, reign, subdue. You are a king. Have dominion. That was the original destiny of man. To have dominion, to rule. And then man fell. And sin entered. And the entire mindset became warped. But the original intent put there to have dominion never changed. And 6,000 years of human civilization, the deaths, the abuse, the massacre has been because God said, you shall have dominion. And every battle within himself, within homes, within offices, within nations is all about having dominion. Only thing it is absolutely warped by the sin nature. The dominion of the fallen man is so completely different from the dominion of the kingdom of God. Until we understand this, we will not understand who is the one who is ruling inside. 
Because the old man me is also called to be a king. And the born again person is the actual king. And there is a battle of thrones going on. It's not actually a game. It's a battle. And you have to see it so beautifully in a real, not illustration, real incident in three gospels. You don't see it in the gospel according to John. You see in Matthew, Mark and Luke. In Matthew, it will see the mother of the sons of Zebedee came. Mark, it says, it is his sons who came. And Luke also records it. Let's listen to the account in Luke that so that we understand the difference between the dominion of the fallen man and the dominion of Christ in man. Let us see what happens. There was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, this is the two brothers, James and John, the mother, everybody intervenes, one on your right, one on your left. Let have one have more dominion. My son should have more dominion. It's all about the kingdom and dominion, kingship, ruling, power, authority. Jesus said, wait a second. Let me get it very right. I understand the concept about dominion. You are called to be kings. This is your destiny. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. Even the mafia don't. He's a benefactor. And they all come to him. And he's very kind and nice to his people. Takes care of them from birth till death. But he lords over every aspect of their life. They're called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, now he's talking about dominion reigning in the kingdom. Though he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. He who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? Who sits at the table or he who serves? He says, wait a second. Now he's telling them, we are all sitting at the table, right? He says, who is greater? The one who is sitting at the table or the one who is serving? They said, definitely the one who is sitting. But he says, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet, I am among you as one who serves. This is a stunning eye-opener for them and for us. He says, do you understand what dominion is in the kingdom? Do you understand what kingship is in the kingdom? You have two people inside. One is the old man. And there is the new man. Both are kings. But the question is, who will be king? Their ways are completely different. One serves self. Even when one is kind and compassionate and being a benefactor, he's serving self. He's not serving them. Because if he's serving them, you step out of line, I'll finish you off. As long as you stay within line, I will keep serving you. Because I'm not serving you, I'm serving myself. But the other serves God. It's not serving self. It's serving Christ. So you will see this throughout the Bible. Cain and Abel. One will serve self. The other will serve God. One oppresses. The other serves. Ishmael and Isaac. One will serve self. The other will serve God. Esau and Jacob. One will serve self. The other will serve God. 
Saul and David. It's continuous in the Bible to teach us upon whom the end of ages has come. God says, do you see all these prototypes in the Old Testament? So you really understand. Yes, this is your destiny. But don't forget, the way is completely different. So the personal question is, or we say in English, the million dollar question is, which king will win at the end? Because the working of both kings are absolutely different. That is why we put these little, little markers through the ages when we have learned, we say, one, watch out for anger. Okay? If somebody doesn't do that way you want it, Jesus never got angry. Right? Because he didn't come to lord over, he came to serve. If you are not recognized while serving, people get upset. Jesus never got upset on the other hand. He wanted to remain hidden. So you can, outwardly it can be the same action. But that's not what determines who is king. It's your reaction, your insight that determines who is actually on the throne. When he was around two years old, Came the wise men, where is he born, the king of Jews? Asked the question, Jerusalem was shaken. They met him in Bethlehem, they worshipped him, they disappeared. And Jesus also disappeared. You don't hear about him anymore. Herod is on the throne, but Jesus is hidden. And these hidden years of his life are the most important years of his life. And I'm telling you young people. The hidden years of your life are the most important years of your life. What was he doing those 28 years? She look, he was filling himself with the word of God. With one purpose. If it's not, we all read, meditate. No, that's not what he was doing. He did all that, but more than that, with one purpose. The purpose is this. I will be absolutely loyal. And obedient to my king. That's my father. Absolutely loyal and obedient. And to be at most in my loyalty and obedience, I need to know everything about my king and his kingdom. That's what he's filling himself for. Because you can memorize the entire scripture for the wrong purpose. And yet never understand the king and the kingdom. Like the Pharisees. They knew the Torah from backwards. They could memorize, they could quote any portion. Yet when the king stood before them, they rejected him and they crucified him because the learning of scripture was for the wrong reason. Entire purpose was that, to be loyal and to be obedient. And obedient, both are very, very important. In Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9, very familiar. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned obedience. He had to learn obedience. At every level he had to learn obedience if he had to receive a kingdom from the father one day. Learned obedience. And not only he had to learn obedience, scripture says in his obedience he had to become perfect in his obedience. That's how you look. How how am I obedient to the word of God? What is my obedience? Not how much word I know. How much obedient am I to the word I know? In Philippians 2.8, scripture says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, 
even the death on the cross. What obedience. What loyalty. You need both. Please understand that you need both. Obedience alone is not enough. If you had looked at, we have heard it many times, if he had looked at Ahitophel from outside, he looked the most obedient man, and he was. Until the king changed. The minute the king changed, his loyalty too changed. He was obedient to a person only as long as he had power. And even the disciples were obedient. Go there, go there, do this, do this. They were obedient till the point he got arrested. When he got arrested, they all ran. Their obedience left. Their loyalty left. They were not loyal. You need to understand. I always say that. They were not loyal. When Gaddafi's bodyguards died for him, Saddam Hussein's bodyguards died for him, none of the loyal disciples were loyal. None of them. They became loyal after he rose again and after the day of Pentecost. You can have obedience without loyalty. You cannot have loyalty without obedience. This is the heart of the gospel. There is a king. Where is he born king? If he is king, are you loyal? If he is king, are you obedient? There is a man in the Bible, strange man. He was not even a Jew. He was a Gittite. When Absalom takes over the throne, I always, when I first, years and years and years and years ago, I remember when I first, when I had read many times, it never, the Holy Spirit has to really focus on that one verse and I marked it in my Bible many, many years ago and I circled it and I said, you know what? This is an outstanding man. David is running out of Jerusalem. Absalom has taken over. And there is a new guy. He said, hey, you are a new recruit. Why are you following me? Go to that new king. Future is there. I have nothing to offer you. Listen to his answer. Itai, his name is Itai. He's a Gittite. He's not a Jew. Answered the king and said, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. Just a simple soldier saying, in life or death, I only know one thing. I'm loyal to you and I'm obedient to you with my life. My loyalty doesn't change with kings. I'm loyal to you and to you alone and nobody. That's a man. These are questions that need to be settled. If these questions are not settled, all these prayer requests, we will keep on struggling all our life without really, really fulfilling our destiny. Ahitophel, Balaam, Judas, these are all people in the camp with their feet on both sides. Both sides. And finally they fell apart because they never made up their mind who is their king. There are so many people in Christendom who still haven't made up their mind who is king. Because we have to work out this, our obedience and our loyalty. Because most people, sadly, Christians, are like Saul. Wandering. I'm talking about the Saul before he became king. Wandering. One thing in their mind, another thing in their heart. They are a divided person. The first time you see this man, you will already see 
This is a confused person. Israel born confused desi he is. Thoughts of his mind and the yearning in his heart, he is not able to distinguish. You know why? If you look at this man, it's because this man never worked on the word of God. See, if you don't deposit this in your heart, you will not even understand when the Holy Spirit is speaking and moving in your heart. They will not. I'll show you how divided he is when he is actually, his life is going to change. Look at him. First Samuel chapter 9, verse 19 and 20. Remember, he's lost his donkeys. And he's searching his donkeys. And he's hoping to find a prophet who will tell him where his donkeys are. Isn't that a reason most people try to meet prophets today? To find where you lost your donkeys or your marbles. Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. They're looking for the seer, right? I am the seer. Go before me to the high place, for tomorrow you shall eat with me. To high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't be anxious about them, for they have been found. Hey, Saul, look at me. You are anxious about your donkeys, right? They were lost three days ago. Don't bother about them. They are found. But you go before me, I will tell you all that is in your heart. You're coming to me with an issue that is troubling your mind, but you are not able to hear, understand the destiny that is written in your heart. Go before me. In your mind, it's only about the lost donkeys. Don't worry about them, they're found. Isn't that what Jesus says? Don't worry about what to eat, what to drink, what to wear. Which college my child will go? What job you will get? Whom I will marry? He said, seek ye the kingdom and his righteousness. That is your destiny. Do you know? Until you encounter the living word, you will not know your destiny. You are still seeking the prophetic voice to find your lost donkeys. That's why he said, seek ye first. I am the seer. Go before me. Eat with me today. In the morning, I will tell you, all that is in your heart. You are searching for me, and I am waiting for you. Destiny to rule is in your heart, and donkeys are on your mind. Don't let donkeys cloud your destiny. Because so many people have been consumed by the donkeys in their mind. Their time, their strength... Their resources are wasted looking for these donkeys while their destiny is waiting for them. What is your and my destiny? In Revelation 5.10, we saw a few weeks back, God says, speaks over every child of his sitting here, I have made you kings and priests to our God and you shall reign on earth. I made you kings and priests. You serve me, you rule on my behalf. This is your destiny. You and I are part of a larger plan of an everlasting kingdom. The purpose, the plan, and the ways are all different. 
And but like Saul, we too seek the seer. We too come to the house of God in search of our lost donkeys. Hoping I will hear a word from the Lord today how to tackle this donkey I lost last week. In my office, I don't know. My manager, that big donkey is mad at me. I hope I have a word how I can turn the favor of that donkey back to me. Our destiny is different, church. There is an anointing that waits when you realize your destiny. And there is a gift that waits. But be careful. It's all there, part of it. Be careful. There is an obedience that has to be learned. That's what the father was teaching Jesus for 30 years. Learn to obey. Learn loyalty to the king. Unflinching obedience and loyalty to the will of the king. If you are spending your time on that, time is well spent. That time is never lost. Even if you are fretting, Lord, when will my call come? God says, you don't have to worry about that. You are absolutely on the right track. You are learning two things that are primary in the kingdom of God. One is loyalty. Second is obedience. These both. Because when the day when I call you, your heart won't be divided. Saul of Tarsus was absolutely loyal to Yahweh and absolutely obedient to the law. And one day he realized Yahweh was Jesus of Nazareth. He was absolutely loyal to Jesus and absolutely obedient to the voice of Jesus all the days of his life. But the divided disciples, you will still see struggling with loyalty. This is everyone's struggle. We want to rule. Because we are the sons and daughters of Adam, the old man, destined to rule, have dominion. And then Christ is born within us, destined to rule. I have made you kings and priests of God. You shall rule the earth. But absolutely two different kings. Thinking is different, method is different, ways are different. Absolutely. That is Moses at 40. Yes, I am chosen. But the ways of Egypt, I shall reign with the sword. Eight years later, I can't do anything, Lord. God says, now we are ready to reign according to the kingdom. Take this rod, serve my people. Now you will be truly a king after my own heart. All of us, our struggle is that. All of us. This is our struggle. Adam was born to reign. Christ was born to reign. And you have no idea. Every culture, every religion is about dominion. It's all about dominion. Why is that every religious structure looks for the highest place? Because it's about dominion. Every mountain, every hill, they want to persist. If my um, church edifice is this high, then my mosque will be higher. Then my temple will be higher because it's about dominion. Why was Saul chosen? Because in the earthly eyes, he was head and shoulders taller than the others. So he can look down upon others. Dominion in the eyes of flesh. 
Rishi read from scripture in the morning before we started worship. There was nothing in him that would attract us. Man despised, man of sorrows, not at all according to the flesh, but he reigned on earth and he will reign forever because dominion is inside. The eyes of flesh could never recognize a king. But he was always a king. In the manger, if you saw him as a baby, he's receiving the worship of the shepherds because he was a king. If you saw the little boy probably hiding behind his mother at two, he was receiving the worship of the kings, the wise men who came. If you saw him hanging on the cross, he was still acting like a king, forgiving his subjects, sending one man to paradise and being regal, even hanging on the cross. He was always a king. Always a king. Our struggle is recognizing him as the only king. We don't mind him like Hindus, one of the gods. God says, no, hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one, not two, only one, not even you. Only one king, not even you. And dominion, this thing engulfs every religion, every culture, dominion, 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 dominion. Kings and armies and conquests, everything was about dominion. That's why one thing God always told Israel. Israel, remember who your king is. I am your king. Don't multiply chariots. Don't count your fighting men. Why? Because your strength doesn't come from chariots. Your strength doesn't come from soldiers. It comes from me. Know that your king is different. Absolutely different our king is, our God is. And yet people still struggle for years together because it's the issue is not your sins and your failings and your struggle. That is not the issue. Everybody will have it. The issue is that you haven't settled the primary question in your life. Who is your king? Who is your king? Once you settle that question like David did very early in your life, he can be restored and he will finish his race well. Because very early in life he decided who is his king. Everything is about dominion. Every religion. And half of Christianity. Let me ask you one question. I know you all slyly hear all these people. All these famous preachers. Benny Hinn, Joy Austin, Joseph Prince, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes and that Nigerian pastor Joshua. So many are there. Big crowds, big churches. They preach well. All of them preach well. But do you know the underlying theology where they all agree on one matter? They agree on dominion. That we will dominate now. Not then. Now. That's why they attract crowds. That's a fundamental Base on which they have built this edifice. Because they preach that, they have to live that lifestyle. You need to understand their lifestyle and their teaching is according to the theology. The theology is called dominion theology. We are dominating this world now. We are enforcing the kingdom of God now. And you do not know that entire edifice is built on falsehood. It is not true according to the word of God. It is a coming kingdom outside. It is a kingdom now within, inside. That were true 
The most miserable Christians and the most weak and defeated Christians should be the ones in China and Saudi and Iran and Iraq and Syria. No, they are the most victorious. You have to realize if you listen to them very carefully, they will preach against spiritual battles. Very well they preach how to fight powers of darkness. They preach also how to fight sin. Very well. But when it comes to this world, their theology changes. They are friends with this world. And they love the things of this world. And according to scripture, you make yourself an enemy of God. That one thing, they will not go according to scripture. Ultimately, Herod will prevail in their life. They are positive thinkers. Remember, they are all positive. All these Sadhguru, Sri Ravi, all of them pick it up and they are positive. They take the cross aside and they are all positive. You look to listen to any Joy Austin and Sadhguru, they sound alike. Only different channels. If you were there that day in the plains of Israel and heard Goliath speak, he sounded like a today's modern preacher. Everything he said from his mouth was positive. Positive thinking. Let's fight. Let's see who is strong. If we lose, we go. If we win, you rule us. Positive preacher. Only thing is positive thoughts and words stopped when David held his head. The word of God finished it off. Because much of preaching you hear today is positive thinking. They sound very, very powerful. But remember, we are not positive preachers or people who think positive. We are people who have bent our knees to the king. And we are absolutely loyal to the king, even to the point of death. Obedient to the point of death. That's the time. Lord, in good times or bad times, in life or in death, I know only one king. I was saying last week, no, where I was saying, I wonder how these prosperity preachers in their wedding, how do they take the marriage vow? In better or? But there is no words in their theology. In well, sickness, but there is no sickness in their theology. In riches or? Or there is no poverty only. I would like to attend one of their weddings. All this is about of dominion, but understand the difference between these two kings, Adam and Christ, the fallen man and the risen savior. In Mark 10, verse 38 and 39, Jesus asked this question. You do not know what you ask. You want to sit on my right and my left? You want to have dominion? He says, do you understand what you're asking? Do you know what you're asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Can you drink from my cup? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Can you? Can you die for your convictions? Can you stand alone for the king? Even when hanging on the cross, can you stand alone and not deny your king? And deny what you have believed? Can you? And they said, we are able. And he looked into them. And he realized, yes, you will. You will all stand for me. And you will all die for me. 
That's why we have to read scripture in conjunction. Just don't take one verse and build a theology around it. Apply scripture in Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God gave him dominion over everything. God says, son, I want to test two things in your life. One, your loyalty. Second, your obedience. Both, not just one. Because Ahitophel was obedient until the leadership changed. Leadership changed. And the old man, Herod, in us, hates Christ. Deep inside, we fight Christ, who leads us to the cross. Again, listen to the question Jesus asked in Luke 22. Who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? They're talking about dominion, right? Dominion means authority. Who is greater? Who sits here or who sits there? Right? Automatically think, I who am sitting here is greater than who is sitting down here. But did you realize at 3.15 in the morning I rose to serve you? Whole of yesterday, my thought was only concerned about what to feed my sheep. Who is greater? The child who is sleeping in the bedroom or the mother who is woken up in the morning to cook? Who is greater? The mother. What is the mother woken up early in the morning to cook for the child who is sleeping? Who is serving whom? That's why the modern version is all our leaders need black cat commandos. It's not to protect them from us, but to protect us from them. Think. Think kingdom. What does dominion mean in the kingdom? That's why God says it's all connected with this. Whom do you serve? It's connected with dominion. Luke 6.24 he says no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other you see in his heart he despised David Ahitophel he was serving David but he was not serving David he was serving himself But he despised David and he was totally in his heart disloyal. He was just waiting for something to happen here in Jerusalem. The minute he found David's son had taken the throne, immediately went over to that side. I see a lot of people like that even in this church. They serve for a season. And I always tell my wife, watch out. Watch out children, watch out people. When they are free actually to make a choice, you will know which side they choose. And I said, it doesn't matter how long they were obedient. They were always disloyal. They were always disloyal. And you looked at the obedience. I always told you in the heart, they were never loyal to the king, the kingdom or the church. Never. Understand that. 
These are fundamental principles of the kingdom. Not the democracy. Democracy is numbers. Whichever number is bigger, I go to that side. It's fine in democracy. Like election is over, four TRS uh, MLCs have already become Congress. Uh, no, Congress have become TRS. The TRS one. So we are going that and they will say we are doing it for the people. Because who is king? Praja is king. Understand. We don't realize we think that way. But we are born again into a kingdom which has only one king. Praja is not king. King is king. Look into your hearts and your minds because we are looking at eternal things of destiny. People don't realize destiny is going to be decided then. Because there is an entrenched power structure in Jerusalem. Herod, Caiaphas, Annas, all of them. And then there is Jesus. When the news came, all of Jerusalem was shaken. Where is he born, king of Jews? What is the question? Where is he born? The Romans were not bothered. The Greeks were not bothered. The Canaanites were not bothered. Pilate was not bothered. Herod was bothered. Because he was the king of the Jews. Pilate was, Caiaphas was bothered. Because he was the high priest of the Jews. Others weren't bothered. So the question is, are you a Jew? If you are not a Jew, you are not bothered by this season. Because this is a season when the king came, not a baby. A king came to receive a kingdom and a set of people. In Romans chapter 2, Paul says, yeah. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. If your heart has been or is being circumcised by the spirit, every twitching of the eye of the king will bother you. Because you know who your king is and you are a Jew. But if you are not a Jew, it doesn't matter. David is a true Jew. In his heart, circumcised unto the God of Israel. That is why even though he cuts the portion of the king's robe, he's shaken. He's shaken. What did I do? What did I do? Because he's a Jew. The question is not who is the great prophet. The question is not who is the anointed one. The question is who is he born king of the Jews. So the question is not who is he. First question is who is he born king of the Jew. Second question is am I a Jew? Am I a Jew? Is my heart being circumcised? Am I growing in my conviction to hear from this king? Well, one more Christmas is over. Tree will go. Star will go. Decoration will go. I will also go. Jerusalem to Bethlehem. I searched today Google Maps. At the early morning at 5.30 when I searched, Jerusalem to Bethlehem in today's traffic, 25 minutes. 9.2 kilometers, 25 minutes. If I got an Uber in Jerusalem, I could reach Bethlehem in 25 minutes. But of course, you have to cross the Palestinian Authority. Nine miles. Nobody from Jerusalem went to Bethlehem to see the king. Nobody. Except the wise men who came from far. Nobody in Jerusalem went to see their king. Because no one was a true Jew. Everyone was one outwardly. 
Nine kilometers, that's all it is. Even by those standards you can walk. Nobody went. Nobody went. Will you go? Ask ourselves if I was born then, would I go? And when the king of the Jews died, he did not die in Jerusalem. He died outside Jerusalem. Because they would not give him the honor to die in Jerusalem. Because the animals who were offered for a sacrifice, the bodies were thrown outside the city. So you die like a dog outside, not inside. God says, that's your king. Do you identify with that king? Do you identify with that king? If that is where he is, that is where I will be. That is Itai. King David, you can trust me. In Jerusalem, my life, I will take a bullet for you. I'm not Michael Cohen. You can take a, I will take a bullet for you. When you lose your kingdom and your throne, you can be sure they need to get you. They need to get you through me. I'll take a bullet for you. Or do we worship him only when he is Jerusalem? When he fed the multitude, scripture says the crowds came to force him to become king. Hebrews 13 verse 12 and 13 says, Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate of Jerusalem. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp. If my king is outside, why should I be inside? That's what Itai is asking. My king is going outside. I go with the king wherever he goes. It's a marriage covenant. For better or for worse. In health or in sickness. In riches or poverty. I have covenanted my life to you, my king. In the city, I am with you. Outside the city, I am with you. I know only one king. And that's not me. That's you. When the baby was born in Bethlehem, scripture says, there was no room. Our lives so packed, so Cluttered that there is no room for the king? How much time did you give the king these past seven days? No room. No room. Do you know when he was born? That's why you have to read through scripture. Understand kingdom. Kingdom purpose. And the king's purpose to understand even what is happening then or what is happening now. Because if we see with the eyes of carnality, we will never understand. Angels came, sang the first Christmas carol. Not to anybody. Just to a set of poor shepherds. Only to them. Nobody else. Why? Because scripture itself gives the answer in Genesis. When Joseph's brothers go before the Pharaoh, this is what Joseph say. Tell the Pharaoh, this is. You shall say your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now. Both we and also our fathers that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an. The abomination of the society. God says, go tell them. I am born. That's why this Christmas was different. We went to the lepers. And every time I told Vijay, 
Mr. Vijay, you're going. Telugu, get it better. But tell them one thing. You're not judged by your limbs. You're judged by the king. You have a living hope. You put your trust in him. One day, you will be made perfect. And you can reign as anyone else. Your outward form makes no difference. The boys who are incarcerated in the juvenile home, if you believe in the God of hope, that's my Christ, and bend your knee, God will move heaven and open the gates and take you out and give you a destiny now and in the kingdom to come because he is the king of hope. Your situation makes no difference. Absolutely. No. This is a season of hope for hopeless people. Here are the poor shepherds sitting over there. God says, go and tell them. The king is born. And scripture says, they hurried. They left their sheep. They left their flocks. They left all they owned. And they went to see the boy. They are an abomination. They are illiterate. They don't know scripture. So to them said, hey, I know you. I'll come down to your level. For you, a sign is given. What is the sign? You go to Bethlehem, you will see a baby wrapped in clothes in a manger. Where? Oh, they know where the manger is. Ah, we know where the manger is. No searching around. Is a baby here? No, they exactly knew where the manger was. Because it's a common stable. They went there, met the king, worshipped him, went back and told everybody. to the simple. Very simple. That's what I said. The gospel can be so easy for the simple and so complex for the wise. You wise, follow that light. Every time the light stops, you stop. I'm not going to give you a sign. You follow that light. One little twinkling in the sky. Twinkle, twinkle. Little star. How many years will you walk? Let me see. And as soon as they reached Israel, the light disappeared. And their GPS also went wrong. They went straight to the city, straight to the palace. Because that's where kings are born. You got it wrong. All your wisdom. A sign was not given to you. Because you're wise in your own eyes. A sign was given to the simple. There's a baby. Don't try to be wise in your own eyes. I preach this all before, but we have to refresh. I think about all these people and I say, Lord, where would I be if I was in that same place? Shepherds, eight days later, you know, we call him the butcher of Bethlehem. Right? Remember, we, remember a couple of years back, the butcher of Bethlehem? Here is Jesus, baby Jesus. Mary and Joseph has brought him, or Joseph has brought him to the synagogue to be circumcised. Scripture doesn't give you the details, but you know from history that Rabbi did it usually. Here is baby Jesus, eight-day-old, being circumcised. And here is that man holding this baby and his hand for the first time. The blood of God that saves the world, that buys your redemption, touches his hands. No effect. Because it's become a religion, a ritual for you. So when the blood of God's own son touches your hands for the very first time, it has no effect because you have no living faith. You have a dead religion. Or 
else in eternity would have been returned. I am the one. Mary, you are the blessed because your womb bore him. And I am the blessed because I circumcised. Each one of them could have had a testimony, but none of them had a testimony because they didn't recognize the king. Tens and thousands crowded in the temple. Nobody realized the king was in their midst. Two old people. One Simeon, one Anna. About one scripture says in his old age, God had told him, you will not die until you have seen your savior. Why Simeon? You're waiting for the consolation of Israel. What are you waiting for? The consolation of India? Ezekiel, God said, go through Jerusalem. Go through. Look at them who are mourning and grieving over the land. Mark them on their forehead. Here is a man in the temple grieving over the land. God's spirit said, the king has come to the temple. Go. And he took the baby and he says, mine eyes have seen my redemption. Let your servant go in peace. Do you understand this God? And here is a woman, 86 years old. From the time she's been married, six years later, she's been a widow. Scripture says she's a woman. She cannot go to the Levite quarter. Yet scripture says she never left the temple. All her life, scripture says, maybe 70 years. 65 years in fasting and prayer. That's not the only thing. Scripture says she was waiting for the redemption of Israel. What are you waiting for? Prosper in this world or the redemption from this body, Lord? This body is my stumbling block. My soul yearns for you, oh God. This is the block. I wish I didn't have to sleep so much. I wish I didn't have to spend so much time eating. I wish I didn't have to do all these crazy things in this body. This body is my stumbling block, Lord. I'm waiting for my redemption from this body. That's how the apostles always saw themselves. Lord, how I could be able to serve you if it were not for this body. Even Jesus said, it's better for me that you that I go. Because in this body, Peter, I can only be one person at a time. But if I go unlimited, the spirit that comes is not limited by your physical body. But all we think from morning till evening is what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, what to buy, what to earn, what, 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 how to take care of this body. You're not waiting for the redemption of this body. What guides our steps? What moves our heart? Who rules our heart? Herod or Christ? Religion or faith? Remember, the wise men said, we have come to worship. Herod also said, I also want to worship. That is the issue. Unless we let Christ have dominion, we too will worship in Jerusalem. When he is in Bethlehem. When he is in Bethlehem. If you worship in Jerusalem, God will speak to you. But that's not the place where you should worship. Should be worshipping where? At Bethlehem. Have you experienced God at Jerusalem? And have you experienced him in Bethlehem where he actually is? It's different. It's not that you will not experience him in Jerusalem. You will. But there's a difference. The Ark of the Covenant has been brought and it is been brought to Bethlehem, Jerusalem and David has made a tabernacle for it. But people are still offering at Gibeah. 
Why? Because the outer courts and the inner courts is still, the brazen altar is still in Gibeah. Even Solomon goes to Gibeah and worships and offers a thousand cattle while the ark is in Jerusalem. Are your hearts divided? You sacrifice in one place and the presence of God actually is in another place? Of course God spoke to you there. That's his mercy. That is his kindness. That's not his approved way. The ark represented his presence. Do you only worship a Jesus who was sacrificed for your sins? Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Or do you worship the risen savior who is seated? And we have heard the Telugu song. Whose eyes are like blazing fire. Whose feet is like burnished bones. Whose hair is white as wool. Whom do we worship? You can worship both. Both are true. But here you are caught in the past. You are never moving into your future and your destiny. This is who he is. Are we moving? Because the Christmas story is the story of the redemption of man. So that he can one day reign in righteousness with Christ and through Christ. Trace the redemption story through Israel's history. You trace dominion through Israel's history. It started with an oath of obedience and loyalty. That's how dominion begins. Before they have fought one single battle. Before they have taken one circle around the walls of Jericho. They make a vow. Both loyalty and obedience. Listen to what they say to Joshua. Who typifies, represents Yeshua, Jesus to them. This is what they say. They answer to Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we hated Moses in all the things, so we will hate you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commander does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and be of good courage. Is that the this thing? We, we, the, the weapons that we fight with are not carnal. They are mighty in God. Pulling down arguments, thoughts, everything, putting it to death until our obedience is perfect in Christ. This is what in the physical, this is what happens in the soul. My obedience, I will put to death any thought that rebels against you, Lord. Until my obedience and my loyalty, I know, is to one king and one king alone. That's how the conquest of Israel begins. It doesn't begin with a battle. It begins with a battle inside. We will be loyal to you. We will obey you all the days of our life. Only thing we tell you is walk with God as Moses walked with God. That's all. That's where it begins. It didn't sustain after Joshua. What begins with an oath and a loyalty to the king of kings ends up in Israel's history in the last words of the book of Judges. Scripture records, yeah, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. By that dominion has finished, Philistines have overrun, everyone is king now. Everyone is a king. There is no king in Israel. Everyone is a king. That's the sad part of the last days, Laodicean church. Everyone is a king. I will do 
when i want to do the way i like to do when i die don't forget me you understand how the bible narrative is so clear page by page if you see through the eyes of the gospel you can see how god is working the redemption judges last words every man is king in his own eyes every man did what was right in his own eyes and next book the book of ruth begins by saying in the times when the judges ruled there was famine and there is a man who went from where bethlehem to moab 10 years sons are dead man is dead three women standing on the road to bethlehem because what did they hear they heard god had visited bethlehem again and there is again bread in the house of god he said i am the bread that came from heaven it is that news that moved all three standing in the same direction towards bethlehem both daughter in laws hug and kiss the mother in law the mother in law says go back to your father's house your father's house you will get a husband your future prosperity is all there why do you want to go one hugged and kissed the mother in law and went never heard again the other one made a covenant with god it's a covenant of loyalty it's a covenant of obedience listen to what that moabite girl says and there god picks up the thread of the redemption story again with a moabite woman a about the mobiles god says for 10 generation they shall not enter into my presence but her vow and her loyalty changes the heart of god it is not just getting into his presence he picks her up as his grandmother this is what she says entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you wherever you go i will go wherever you lord i will lord your people shall be my people your god my god where you die i will die and there i will be buried the lord do so to me go through the bible you will find people like that and you will realize wow this is god's history through the hearts and lives of very simple ordinary people but you look into their hearts they knew who their king was and they were absolutely loyal to that king absolutely loyal to that king that's the first question this christmas season you have to ask am i loyal and the book of ruth ends up with this beautiful lines how does it end and naomi took the child laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him and also the neighbor women gave him a name saying there is a son born to naomi and they called his name obed he is the father of jesse and the father of david the son of david shall come through that line what a fairy tale we read all this snow white and the prince and fedelshi this is not snow white Poor thing is not Rahab is not a snow white Ruth is not a snow white Tamar is not a snow white Rahab is not a snow white Bathsheba is not a snow white but they have a loyal in their heart They were loyal to their king And you need to ask ourselves where do I where am I in your story lord because you have to see everything in terms of the king the kingdom because in the kingdom two of the most important facets about the kingdom is loyalty and obedience loyalty and obedience it was beautiful i mean you guys won't be interested it's got to do with my background you know uh, last week was a national day of bhutan 
So, Bhutan is the only kingdom where two kings are surviving. The earlier king abdicated and made his son the king and now he has a little fellow. So, they were in the town for the National Day celebration, the town where I grew up and I was watching the stadium. It was beautiful, not a stadium. What was happening over here? First, the father comes, the old king comes and he is there. Next, the king comes with his crown prince. And here is the father, here is the king, ex-king, current king and future king. Surreal, okay? And you know how it is? The son bows, the father bows, and the grandson bows. Everybody accepts you are sovereign. And I looked at him and said, it's so beautiful. And the grandfather comes and takes the grandson by hand, and the king goes and starts addressing the people. Because you cannot have two kings. You can have only one king. And the nature of the kingdom is your loyalty and your obedience. That's what God says. Love God with all your heart. Why? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. If God is not your treasure, your loyalty is questioned. God is not my treasure. Your loyalty is under the lens. Not your works. Your loyalty. Man looks at the works. God looks at the heart. What was he looking? He told Samuel. Samuel, man looks at the outside. God looks at the... What did he see in David's heart? He saw that loyalty. And that obedience. And he looks into your and my heart. He's not first looking at all our failings and failures. He's looking. Are you loyal? Are you obedient? If I tell you something, will you listen? Will you buckle under pressure? Love God with all your heart. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. That's the nature of that kingdom. When Jesus says words like this, it may sound harsh. It is not harsh. You have to see it in the light of the kingdom, what he is saying. Luke chapter 14, he says, If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother. People will pull this out, non-Christian. They say, see what your God says. He teaches you to hate your father and mother. Is that what he's saying? No. If he hates his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He says, this has got to do with discipleship. The call of the kingdom is first a disciple. Unless you see it in the light of the kingdom, you will never understand what Jesus is saying. Because if your heart is divided, your loyalty is divided. There is absolutely nothing wrong loving your father and mother, your wife and your children. And you are supposed to. Do you see that man in your mind's eye? Sitting outside a tent or a house in Haran? Do you know how long he has been sitting there? Does he even know who he is? Does he even know his destiny? His destiny has not been revealed. His destiny is you are the father of nations. But because you love your father more than me, you cannot fulfill your destiny until that love dies. Do you realize who you are? Do you realize who called you? Do you realize who told you to leave? And you're stuck. You're stuck only because of something. You're stuck because you love your father. More than you love me. Therefore you will never fulfill your destiny. Abraham. 
you see in the light of what God is saying? Do you see that man standing, sitting outside a cave with two little children? Hey, what's your name? Lot. Why? Because you have a lot? No, I have a lot of trouble. That's why my name is Lot. And who are these children? Your grandchildren? No. They are my children. Your children? Where's your wife? Don't ask me that question. Why are you here? Why are you in this state? If you ask him, he will tell me. It's because there was a day when I loved my wife more than I loved my God. I struggled in my heart with this world, with the sins of this world. But my wife did not want to leave. So I stayed with her. Where is your wife? Oh, when the world got judged, she died. Oh, she died? Yeah. Remember, Lord's wife. Any man loves his wife more than me. Your heart is divided. He's not telling you not to love your wife. He's telling you not to love your wife more than you love God. Any man, father, mother, wife, children. Do you see that man in Hebron? Hebron means fellowship. When is the last time you heard from God? God, I haven't heard. But you are at Hebron, right? Why? Because my son is dead. Oh, son is dead. So, what's your name? I don't know. Sometimes people call me Jacob. Sometimes they call me Israel. What are you? Israel? Do you know what it means? Prince with God. Prince with man. Sitting like that. How many years? Around 20 years. Have you moved one inch with God? No. Why? Because my son is dead. I told you, if you love your son more than you love me, you will not fulfill your destiny. You will not fulfill your destiny. Do you see that madman sitting on the throne of Israel with a spear in his hand? Do you see him? Do you know why he's sitting like a madman? Because he loved himself more than he loved God. King, kingdom, the loyalty, the obedience, and the destiny. It's a game of thrones. But not a game. It's a battle. And the winner takes it all. In Revelation 21, and verse 7, scripture says, He who Overcomes. Takes it all. He inherits all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. This is the end of the Christmas story. Who is he? Born the king of Jews. They can all be one king child. Children. Church. They cannot be two kings, not even ourselves. That's why Jesus says, you have to pick up, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. It all begins by deciding who is king. Who is king. Shall we go back to the previous verse as I close? Because there are young people here, children here, married people here, unmarried people here. 
Luke. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be mine. Read it very carefully. When you read scripture, read it as if your whole life depends upon it because actually it does. Who is he saying this to? He is saying this to an adult male who is standing on his own feet. Not to a female and not to a child. Because God will not go against his own order. Because that's how the kingdom works. If any woman, he did not say. Because God will not allow a woman to go against her head. God will, any child, God will not allow a child to go against his parents. That's the nature of the kingdom, not the nature of a democracy. It's a kingdom. Any man, any man, any man, that's how the kingdom works. You have to see it all through the eyes of faith. As you're entering into the promised land and there is famine and there is starvation and there is plenty in Egypt. A husband comes and tells his wife, honey, we are going into this land. My life is in trouble. If anybody asks you, who are you? You must say, you are my. She looked into his eyes and by faith saw a king and a kingdom and said, yes, my Lord. Though he was weak, God stretched into time, held us safe and brought her out because she understood the king and dominion, how it works. She didn't say, Me Understand how kingdom works. That's why in First Peter chapter 3, scripture says, Children, daughters, remember your mother, Sarah who did not fear, but called him my Lord. She was not calling Abraham Lord. She was calling the Christ in Abraham my Lord. If he's a king, he has a kingdom. If he has a kingdom, he has power and authority. That is why Samuel becomes a man from whom the word of God will not fall to the ground because he grew up and he heard and walked in the word that was instilled into him by his parents. So God could speak to him because he was loyal and obedient to what he had received from God through them. Understand scripture. Otherwise we are wasting our time. Life is a waste, total waste. Oh, you may be successful and all, a total waste in destiny comes. Absolute total waste. Don't waste. Eternity becomes you, waits for you. I will not make the gospel simple. It is simple. I'm making it easy. I will not make it easy. It was never easy for anybody. Which way it will turn in your life, I do not know. One thing God demands and the king demands. I want loyalty. I want all your heart. Not a portion. Not even 90 portion. I want all your heart. Love me with all your heart. With all your mind. All your strength. Be obedient. Be loyal. And we don't realize every day these two are being tested. 
being tested. Every word you speak outside your normal sphere is a test of your obedience and of your loyalty. That is why scripture says in the book of Malachi, those who feared God, God listened to their conversation and wrote it. They are loyal. Even in their conversation with outside, they are loyal. They are loyal to the kingdom. They will not betray the king and they will not betray the kingdom. They are loyal. All these things matter. Because why? One day when you reign with Christ and Christ is the king of kings and the lord of lords and you are kings and queens under him, you will realize only thing that will matter is your loyalty and your obedience to the king. Only thing that matters is that. Only thing that qualifies. Were you obedient? Were you loyal? That's the only thing that matters. If 2019, there is a new government, election comes, results come, government changes, what is the first thing they're going to do? Change the entire bureaucracy. They're not looking for talent. They're looking for loyalty. They're looking for they're not looking for talented people. You can tens and hundreds, you can get not a big thing. Loyal people are very few. First thing a government, when it changes, will find they will change. That's the key. Be loyal to God. Be obedient to God. Kings will come. Kings will go. Twelve chapters of Daniel. Eight kings. Kings come. Kings go. Kings come. Kings go. Every new king wants Daniel. Because he's loyal and he's faithful. That man alone. Rest them all. Thrown in the prison. Throw them in the lions. Kill them. Mutilate them. But that man... You want him. It's one thing that can be questioned. He's loyal. And he's faithful to his God. His God. Work on these things in our life each day. After Christmas we go on a seven day fast. Work on these things. We are not preparing for something here. We are preparing for something that is everlasting. Get all the things you need to success here. Green belt, brown belt, alpha. I don't know what all this thing, no? Oh, sab kar do. Sigma, okay. All that. No. Alpha, omega, whatever you want, do all that. But you're not preparing for that. You're preparing for something bigger. Something bigger. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. 51 Sundays are over. One more Sunday left. And this year will be over. When we started 51 Sundays ago, you gave us a promise. Just a strange promise, Lord. One thing that I seek. And we have come to the end of this year. We just have a few days left. And I pray in every heart you have been that one person we sought. Your kingdom was that one thing that we put above everything else. That one thing. So that we can move to the next year 
with another promise from the king and the kingdom. Prepare us. You're not just a king. You're not just God. You're also our father. So we come to you as a father and say, Father, where your children have failed and fallen short of, of the covenant we made with you in our baptism, forgive us and restore us. You are the only one who can compress time and give it back to us. Because you are the only one who promised, I will give you the ears which the locusts have eaten. No one can do that. But you can. Next eight days. In eight days, you can compress 51 weeks and give it back to your children. For you are outside time. And absolutely nothing is impossible with thee. And your word says nothing is impossible with him or her who believes. And we come to you by faith. The next eight days, nine days, help us to redeem our time. And fill that time with you. With you, Lord. Be willing to pay any price for that. With pay, without pay. Spend time in your presence. So that at the end we know there's only one throne in my heart. There's only one king that is seated on the throne. And his name is Jesus. And when I look into my heart, the Holy Spirit bears witness. I am a Jew. Not a Gentile. Continue to circumcise our hearts, Lord. As you said in Deuteronomy 36, I will circumcise your heart that you may love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. All we do today is surrender, our Lord. Surrender our body, our soul, and our spirit. Our bodies too, Lord. Many sick in the bodies. But today we make an act of surrender of our bodies. For your word says the body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. We surrender our soul for your word says the end of our salvation is the salvation of our soul. Surrender our spirit so that we can truly see and understand as we look around in the world and see what is happening. We do not panic. Our hearts do not fail. But we lift our heads up because we know our redemption is near. It draws nigh. And we have the heart of Simeon and the soul of Anna. Thank you, Father. Surrender this church. All our churches into thy hands. And I pray for all those who hear this message through the net, there would be a quickening in their spirits. There will be a fire set in our soul that we look with joy and with anticipation to the coming year. 
Because every day with Jesus is better than the day before. It's you who makes our life different, Lord. Not events, not things. It's you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Father. We worship you, Father. By faith, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name, God. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We confess and we proclaim thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Let thy kingdom come, Lord, in us and through us. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.